Well, I did it this week. I did something I haven't done. I think I did something I've never done before. I bought, I bought a Powerball ticket. <laughs> I bought the Powerball ticket. Yeah, I really sold out. And I, it was totally worth the two bucks, let me tell you, because... I got it, and I was like, oh, this is funny. Wow, 1.2 million. And then I got home, and I, like, put it on the fridge. And was it more than that? What did I say? You guys, I always say this. Listen to what I mean, not what I say. Uh, 1.2 billion dollars. 1.2 billion, right? And so I put it on the fridge, and I, I was like, oh, I should check, you know, because I'm going to win. And, like, that thing happened that probably has happened to everyone. You're like... What if we actually won? <laughs> and then you start to have those weird fantasies, right? You're like, wow, what would all that money do? And we, you know, man, think about how great that would be. So I said to Mel, because we try to have great, you know, husband-wife conversation. like, babe, think about that if we won that. And she's like, I wouldn't even want that much money. And I'm like, what is your problem? <laughs> and uh, so I had to dismiss that. And, uh, and then I was like, okay, no, that, that. And then I was thinking, well, man, that, that would be so much. Okay, what if we just had, and then I was like, what would actually, what would make me feel better? I was like, what if we just had a thousand bucks more a month? I was like, no, we need more than that. Okay, like 5,000, you know, or 50,000, what, you know, 1.2 billion. And, and, and I was just thinking like, how much would it take to, to, to really uh, make me satisfied and secure. And then I started to think, man, what is my relationship with money? And thinking about money. And friends, there comes a time in every relationship where you have to have that talk. You know, like this, like, we need to talk about what we mean to each other. <laughs> and the define the relationship, right? <laughs> that yes, those are, yes. <laughs> Don't get too distracted by the example I'm using. But that define the relationship and the couples and, hey, what do we mean? And some of us have been so far down married for so long. Some of us younger people, you're like, Matt, don't even talk about this right now because I need to have it with the person I'm sitting by and this is awkward. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. For the next three weeks... We are going to be talking about money and define the relationship with money. Uh, this church cares about the quality of our relationships, and we all have a relationship with money. What is yours like? Is it healthy? Is it God-honoring? What, what does that even look like? And at a time when the world is fretting fantastically, about finances and the economy? What, what does it mean for a follower of Jesus to respond differently? To respond differently. So a couple of things I want to say on the front end. Uh, number one, we had this series planned before we had any clue about gifts for the king and paying off gifts for the king. That We have a series planning team and a teaching team and we meet and we like work ahead and what are we preaching for the year and topics were, you know, so we pray through and do. We had this set before we knew anything about gifts for the king and doing the larger push to pay off the mortgage. So while I'm not doing this sermon, I'm not trying to get you to give more to reach our goal 
of paying off the mortgage. All right? Although I do want you to give generously to that offering and to the church, um, I believe bigger that this is one way to help you grow in your relationship with God and in your relationship with money. I care more about you than I care about what we raise to pay off the mortgage. And, and the heart behind this is, Lord, help us, because we all need help with our relationship with money and being honest about this. We all have places to grow. So what I am going to be doing is opening up the scriptures and asking God to challenge us, to grow us in our relationship with money. Do you know, in the Bible, there's 23, 2,300 verses about money. The parables Jesus teaches, he, he, he speaks 38 parables, 15 of them deal with money. About 15% of Jesus' overall teaching talks about money. Why? Because as, as Jesus said in Matthew 21, money is a heart issue. Where your money is, there your heart will be also. And, and so money is both a reflection and, and, it, a, and it directs where, where our heart is. As well, he keeps going on, and in that same section in Matthew, he, he recognized that money calls out to be a master. Money wants to own you. It wants to be a small G God, and Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So if we're serious about our relationship with God, we need to look honestly at our relationship with money. So I want to accomplish a couple things. Let me tell you what you can count on in, in this series over the next three weeks. One, that, that we're going to be challenged, and I, and I want us, this is where we're really going to couch and sit today, but to be a more content people where we are right now, even without the Powerball winnings, <laughs> of which my daughter woke up in the morning and she... Never wants to talk to me in the morning. She's like, wants to do, do her thing. But I was like, hey, you should go get that Powerball because I bet we're billionaires now. And she's like, really? And she runs down there and comes up. It's like, all right. And she looks it up on the phone and we got not a single number. Right. <laughs> so here I am. Um. <laughs> I think I'd still be here even if I won that darn Powerball. I want us to be a more content and challenge me, content, satisfied people right now, right here. I want us to have a biblically directed view of finances and of money. I want to give us some practical steps to living out a healthy relationship with our money now and in the future. Okay? So this morning we're going to turn to 1 Timothy 6. We're going to seek God's guidance. We're going to talk some about contentment. So if you have a Bible or if you have something that we take notes and say, all right, Lord, speak to me. I open myself. Bring discomfort me a little bit. Comfort me a little bit. But do your work as we open the scriptures. Uh, this, this book, 1 Timothy, is a letter written to Paul or written by Paul to Timothy. Paul is a mentor to this younger man. He's encouraging Timothy to live out the life of faith within a local church context. He's just spoken to Timothy that many people have kind of distorted the gospel and distorted spirituality to believe that godliness is a mean to financial gain. 
Like, prosperity gospel is not something new, okay? And then he says this. This, everyone can memorize this verse. Here's our verse. But godliness, Paul says to Timothy, the Lord says to us, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul resets the scorecard. What if gain is not measured by more stuff, more money, more house, more new, shiny? But if we measured it by something else, great gain. That godliness, godliness is deep devotion to being rooted and formed in the truths and the ways of God. You know any godly people? Like sometimes I think we could do a definition, but more so, who is someone you know? Who is a, who is a godly example in your life? Godliness with contentment. Contentment. That state of being where external circumstances do not dictate our internal well-being. Paul says it really powerfully in Philippians 4. Just listen to this. He says, listen, I'm not saying this because I am in need. Paul says, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying because I have great need. No, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and Every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This example of a deep godliness and rootedness. And Paul's saying, listen, I've, I've lived life long enough that I have been hungry. I've been okay. And I've eaten some of the best foods. And I've been okay. Deep-rooted sense of a, a spiritual founding and foundation and trust. Something bigger than the whims of circumstance. So how do we do this? How does that start to grow in us? Paul goes on, verse 7. He says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out out of it. That, that's a perspective. You brought nothing in, you're going to take nothing out. Now you might leave some for your kids. That's a good thing. But you're not taking it with you. How deep is your attachment and your identity to money and to stuff? You don't take it with you. Lord, give us this perspective. We are stewards, not owners. Next week, we're really going to push into that. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That's a pretty low bar, <laughs> right? 
like Manslow's hierarchy of needs. That's like base level stuff there. You got shelter, you got food, you got some, got some clothes. The practice of being satisfied, of being content with what we have right now. Do you, do you see a spirituality in that? Do you see God calling you to something deeper and saying, I know so much so it's going, more and more, well, when I get there, then I'll be happy. When I get that, then it'll be good. When this happens, no, 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 no. Stop chasing that. I, I, I care more about you, and I, I want you rooted in something much deeper. You get caught into that and snowballed into that so often. I, there's a secret of a deep walk with Jesus and connection with God that you develop a level of contentment and satisfaction that is external or just not completely directed by your circumstances and by your stuff. Contentment is offered now. Drop the lie that if you get a little more, you will arrive. No, you have arrived. Godliness with contentment is great gain, and it depends on nothing more than what we have Right now. Paul goes on. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. People that have 50,000 that want 100,000, we just got to get more. We have 100,000, we want 200,000. We have 200, we want a million. We have a million, we want 5 million. We want 50 million. It never ends. You guys know that. We know that. So many of us know that. The sins of greed and materialism will never produce what they promise. Contentment beats materialism every day. Contentment beats the desire to get rich and to chase the carrot every day. Now, here comes the most misquoted, close to, if not the most misquoted verse in the Bible. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's one of the most misquoted because everyone says, money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. The love of money... It's the love of money, not money. Money can go either way. It's the love of money. It is the root of much evil. Many kinds, many different kinds of evil. And many people who've just pursued that have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Do you know people like that? Is that a, somewhat of a description of you? So we live in a crazy consumer-driven sea, and we are fed all day long a lie that we need more or better or newer to be happy, to be content. And the hamster wheel of consumerism never ends. Our economy is built off of it, but you as a follower of Jesus don't need to live on it. A, a better perspective can be helpful. Like this, hey, we take nothing out, remembering this. A better perspective can be helpful in this. So have you guys ever done 
there, there's, when I started researching, I'd done this before, but it's called like global rich list. Has anyone ever seen that? And, and it's, you, you take what you make and then you compare it, like instead of comparing it to your neighbors or to your family or, or to some other people you want to be like, you just compare it to the world. And we happen to live in a fairly rich country, in a fairly incredibly rich county. And, and so check out, I use this website. The website I, I went to was called actually Giving What I Can, but it did this like global wealth. How wealthy are you? How wealthy are you? If you are married, so let's say you're just two adults in your home and you have two kids. Now, I know that's like not, definitely not all of us, but let's just use that as a baseline. And you made 50000 after taxes, after taxes. So you, that's what you took home. You would be in the top 10% of the entire world. You'd be just above the poverty line in Boulder County. And you'd be in the top, <laughs> and you'd be in the top, 10% in the world. So let's say you got a raise. You made 75000 after taxes with two adults and two kids. You'd be in the top 5% of the entire world. If you made 100000 you'd be in the top three. What do you need to do to be a one percenter? 200000 And I, I couldn't find this on there, but I know if, if you have two kids in college, you're poor. That's just, yeah, I can just promise you that. We are all rich. When you, when you zoom out the picture, and you get not just Boulder County, but when you zoom it all the way out, and in the world, we are an incredibly rich people. And so with this perspective, we're going to keep reading and hear some great and powerful words that Paul's going to speak to us out of 1 Timothy. I'm going to go to chapter, uh, verse 17. We are all rich. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love this verse. I absolutely love this scripture. I mean, you don't have to feel bad for having money. Do, do you see that? For, you don't have to feel bad for liking new things, for wanting something else. Mel and I bought this barn door on our closet last night, and I put it in, and we're like so excited. I like woke up in the night, I'm like, man, I'm preaching about materialism, and I look over, and I'm like, oh, I love my little barn door. <laughs> but it's a heart check. What's really going on? Money's a heart issue. What's really going on? Stuff, materialism, greed, or heart issues? I, I, I want to ask this question. Is your blank a replacement for God's presence or a recognition of God's goodness? Is your money, is your savings account, is your nest egg, is your new car, is your barn door, is your house? God, are these things that I'm looking to replace actual dependence on you? Or, or am I recognizing, God, your goodness 
That God has given us all these things to, to, to richly enjoy. Do not be arrogant. Lord, we can thank you for what we have. We recognize that you are a provider, that you are our portion, God, that you are enough. We are a rich people. May our riches not be a replacement, but a recognition of your provision. And it keeps going. What do we do with that? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. I mean, a great measuring stick of a godly perspective on money is how much do you give away? How much do you share? How much do you like, listen, we care for our home, we care for our family, and we do these things, and we also love to invite others in. We love to be able to give out and to be generous. We actually believe that God provides and he has given us good gifts and we, we could share with one another and give out and appreciate to be generous, rich in good deeds. So many of you guys, I could just, I, I would love to just walk around the room and point my finger in, in a way to say, you are so generous and I know what you've done. And when you opened up your home for that, and, and when you gave of this for that thing, the ways that you are just, have modeled a generosity with your things, it's like a gratitude to God. In this way, we will lay up, you will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. Aren't these scriptures like rich? You guys, go back and sit in these this week. It, it, by giving this generously, by recognizing God's provision, you will lay up for yourself treasure as a firm foundation. It's like an eternal retirement plan, but more so that you will take hold of life that is really life. You'll get off the hamster wheel. Lord, change our perspective about money, about stuff, and let us not just be consumer-driven. Life is found in being wise in our financial planning and generous in our financial giving. And we can give and we can hold life loosely because we're not attached. It's not identity. It's not our security. These are easy things to say, challenging things to live in. So what's the practical advice, Matt? What's, uh, what's some practical advice for this week? I'm going to ask you guys to do some homework. Sweet, we love homework. <laughs> what, what, is your, what is your relationship with money right now? What, what is your relationship Might be with your retirement, your job, your income, your savings. I mean, I know like we can't just measure wealth by like what did you make this month or, or sorry this year. We we have so many things, but what where are the places? What is your relationship with money? Define the relationship. And this isn't like a oh I'm bad I'm bad here. There might be some of that. Like Lord, this has a big hold on me. I can tell you guys, I am kind of chintzy. I, give me a hundred bucks, and I'll feel really good saving it. 
And I, oh, good, I got that $100. I can trust that $100. No, Lord, somehow I can put more trust in money than you've called me. And sometimes I can even replace trusting you with just trusting money. That's, that's defining the relationship. Lord, there's places where I have been generous and it is so life-giving. I, I love to, I, I have a truck. Uh, that, now, all y'all don't be asking me for my truck after I tell you this story. But it's got dents in it. Every single dent has come from, I've loaned it out. And I'm like ticked off. I look at it, I'm like, dang it, people, man, can't you respect? I give you the, and then this other part of like, I love, Lord, that I have a truck that other people can use. And those dents are little trophies in it. I love it that I can let it go. I love it that I can let it go. What's your relationship with money? With stuff? What's the Lord trying to say to you? Can you do that exercise this week and maybe return to 1 Timothy 6 and sit in these scriptures? The band's going to come up. Want me to ask you a basic relationship question? What was your parents' relationship with money and how much has that affected you and your relationship and perspective of money? Versus God, what do you say? Let's stand up. Hmm. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we, we gather together to encourage one another. We gather together to worship. Uh, we gather together to share. We gather together to hear from you and be formed by your word and by your scriptures. So, Lord, I pray that your spirit, you, that you would have spoken to each of us this morning. And may we do something with it. Lord, we give you permission. Speak into our lives. Set us free. Point out. Give us encouragement. Challenge us. If you can really pray that, I ask you, just pray that to yourself right now. Pray to the Lord. Pray, pray just personally. Pray, God, I give you permission to point out. Keep growing me.